Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. Well, good morning. Last week, we finally wrapped up our series studying the book of Nehemiah, which means that we... uh, We'll find ourselves in need of our next series, uh, but not today. <laughs> uh, today, before we, we kick off our, our yet-to-be-determined series, we're going to take up a topic that came up a few weeks ago, and it's a topic that is relevant, um, well, first of all, just because it is, but, uh, <laughs> but second, uh, because of what is happening in the different Bible studies that are happening throughout the week. So we have the, the Monday night Bible study and, and um, the, the content that has happening there. And then we have the Wednesday night Bible study and, and what's going on there. And um, both of those Bible studies are kind of taking a, um, we will use the word survey. They're, they're, they're kind of going through the entire Bible and picking out some specifics. And, and there's value in looking at all of Scripture as a whole. Because what, what we start to see is there's these, these continuing threads, is, to use the illustration from the, the Wednesday night Bible study, there, there is this, this continuity that exists throughout all of Scripture that could very easily be missed if we get kind of tunnel vision focused on this specific chapter, this specific section. If we just are focused on Nehemiah rebuilding the walls, if we're just focused on the life of Job, if we're just focused on Queen Esther, sometimes some of those things get lost. But when we start looking at all of Scripture as a whole, we see that, that there's maybe more to it than that. And so what I want to do this morning, and I had kind of joked about it a few weeks ago, is uh, I'm going to hopefully try to take on uh, preaching the entire Bible in 30 minutes. <laughs> what can you do in 30 minutes? How, how much can you read in 30 minutes? How much TV can you watch? How many projects can you start and finish in 30 minutes? How many calls can you return in 30 minutes? If you had 30 minutes, could you tell the entire story of the Bible? Most of us would probably have a hard time. (laughs) Most of us would probably have a hard time doing that. The Bible is big. 66 books written by 40 authors in three languages over 1,500 years, over 1,100 chapters, over 31,000 verses, over 800,000 words. Is it even possible to tell the story of the Bible in 30 minutes? Yes. And the, the first thing that we do is, it, really, the, the Bible can be broken up into six different acts, six, six different sections, if you will. In the first section, we have God creating everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and in six days, he made everything, and on the seventh day, he rested. It's Genesis 1. In Genesis 2, it tells us about Adam and Eve, that, that God created Adam out of the dust 
of the ground and placed him in the garden. He fashioned Eve from a rib taken from Adam's side, and he presented Eve to Adam, who was pleased with her. The two became one flesh. They were naked and they weren't ashamed. And they had a relationship with God. They were, were walking with God in the garden. They were together with God. And that's the end of Act 1. Act 2, man rebels against God. The serpent appears to Eve and deceives her. She eats the fruit that she wasn't supposed to eat. She gives it to Adam and he eats the fruit that he wasn't supposed to eat. And God holds them accountable. Sin entered the world through one man, Romans 5.12. This was the decisive moment, the, the turning point. Nothing will ever be the same after this point right here. Suddenly, Adam and Eve are ashamed. They try to cover their nakedness, innocence, gone forever. When confronted by God, Adam makes excuses. Who told you that you were naked? The woman that you gave me did this to me. First, Adam blames Eve, and then he blames God. Eve blames the serpent. Judgment comes, they're cast out of the garden. God clothes them with garments of skin. He sacrifices his creation in order to cover their sin. Hold on to that, that's important. And they're on their own. The world becomes a very sinful, unfriendly place. Cain kills Abel. Civilization spreads out. Large cities form. Death is everywhere. Everywhere. Genesis 4 and 5. Things go from bad to worse. In Genesis 6, God intervenes. The earth had grown corrupt. It was full of evil. God calls Noah who builds an ark. When the floods come, covering the entire earth, only eight people are saved. Thus we learn of judgment and grace. There is a consequence for sin. And yet even in the midst of all of those things, God is still showing his grace. God is still demonstrating his faithfulness to his His people that he is called. Now the line is narrowed to Noah and his family. And after the flood, the three sons of Noah spread out and begin to multiply. Generations come and go. And eventually they build a tower to express their enormous arrogance of how great they are. This Tower of Babel, as we know it. God sends confusion of the languages to the Tower of Babel and people scatter across the face of the earth. That's Act 2. Act three, God initiates redemption. Something hugely important happens in Genesis 12. God calls Abraham. He's a prosperous, middle-aged pagan businessman in Ur of the Chaldees. God calls, he responds, and becomes the outstanding example of faith in the Bible. And really, we can divide the Old Testament this way. We can say Genesis 1 through 11, God creates the human race. That's Genesis 1 through 11. Genesis 12, all the way up through Malachi 4, which is the end of the Old Testament, God creates the Hebrew race. Abraham and Sarah have a son, Isaac. Isaac has a son, Jacob. Jacob has a whole bunch of sons. One of them being Joseph. Joseph ends up serving Pharaoh in Egypt because his brothers sold him into slavery. His family 
follows him to Egypt. Eventually, they number 70 people. God blesses them until the day comes when a Pharaoh comes who does not have any history with Joseph and his family. And for 400 years, the people suffer under the bondage of the Egyptians until God raises up a deliverer named Moses. Moses goes before Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And when Pharaoh says no, we see these 10 plagues that come. And the last one being the death of the firstborn. And the way that the people of Israel protected themselves from that final plague was they had to take the the blood of a sacrificial lamb and they had to put it over the doorposts of their homes so that they would be protected so that the angel of death would pass over them. So Moses leads the Jews out of Egypt across the Red Sea into the desert. And at Mount Sinai, God gives the law, starting with the Ten Commandments. And we're into Exodus 20. At Kadesh Barnea, they they sent out 12 men to go and spy out the land. A land that that they came back and reported was flowing with milk and honey, which meant it it was great. There was a lot of good stuff there, but because there were giants in the land, 10 of the spies said, no, we can't go in there. Because the people did not believe God's promise, they were forced to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Then God raised up another leader. We have Joshua. He leads the people to conquer the land of Canaan, the promised land. They divided the land for the 12 tribes. Then comes a wild period of judgment, this peak and valley time where every man did what was right in their own eyes, is what Scripture says, where people made decisions to follow God, and then over after a season, they made decisions to follow false gods, and then God would send a judge, and they would bring them back, and then it would happen all over again. We have Gideon, we have Samson, we have Barak, we have all of these different names of judges that that come forth. The story of Ruth takes place in this period of time. God leads his people by prophets, through priests, through judges, but the people wanted a king. So God gave them Saul, who started well and ended badly. Then comes David, whose victory over Goliath makes the women sing his praises, but later David's reign would be tarnished because of his sin with Bathsheba. Then comes Solomon, the king who who asked God for wisdom. He, He built this magnificent temple in Jerusalem, but he married foreign women who turned his heart away from God. And that brings us to 1 Kings 11. Meanwhile, the the priests are offering sacrifices day after day, year after year. A river of blood is flowing from the altar in the temple. High priests come and go. After Solomon's death, the nation split into two parts. The northern ten tribes were led by a long string of really bad kings. They were taken into captivity in 722 BC. The southern two kingdoms had a couple of good kings. (laughs) But other than that, also not great. They lasted 508 until 586 BC when the Babylonians took them into captivity. The prophets brought God's messages of warning and hope. Isaiah spoke of a suffering servant. Jeremiah wept for his people. Daniel explained that there was prophecy, there was hope for what was to come. 
The people of God languished in exile for 70 long years. It was hard humility. It was a hard, humiliating time. But finally, God raised up two key men. The first was Zerubbabel, who led a small group back to Jerusalem at the end of the 70 years in 445 B.C., Actually, I think it was a little before that. Zerubbabel, they go back and they begin to rebuild the temple. And then in 445 BC, Nehemiah goes back, as we just learned, and he begins to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Sometime after that, Malachi the prophet gave his message from the Lord. And the Old Testament closes with a sense of longing, a sense of expectation of there has to be more. Promises had been made. Prophets had spoken. The people were waiting. What's God going to do? And that covers the Old Testament. In Act 4, we see God accomplishing redemption in the most unlikely way, in the most unlikely place. When the time had fully come, God sent forth his Son. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, not just any baby, but the seed of the woman, the son of David, the one whose name is Emmanuel, God with us. Shepherds glorified him. Angels announced him. The Magi brought him gifts. The angel told Joseph, call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb that was pointed to by the Lamb over the doorposts. The Lamb that was pointed to by the the skins that were, were used to clothe Adam and Eve. He is that Lamb that was pointed to. He was baptized by John, tempted by the devil, misunderstood by religious leaders, feared by some, hated by others, but the common people came to him. The common people sought him out and heard him gladly. He was full of grace and truth. He was the fullness of God in bodily form. He caused the blind to see. He made the deaf to hear. He cast out demons, he healed the sick, and he raised the dead, and he invited all the weary to come to him for rest. He teaches God's law, embodies God's love, and fulfills God's promises. He preached to the masses, he spoke in parables, he's a friend to sinners everywhere, And repeatedly, he tells the 12 disciples that he will be betrayed into the hands of sinful men who will beat him and then crucify him. And he tells them that after three days, he will rise from the dead. And they don't get it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays in agony. Judas betrays him. Peter denies him. The disciples abandon him. Caiaphas accuses him. Herod mocks him. The soldiers beat him and Pilate condemns him to death. He's crucified between two criminals. He cries out, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And finally, it's finished. Father, into your hands I commit 
my spirit, and he breathes his last breath. And in breathing that last breath, the solution, the, the payment for the decision that was made at the very beginning has been transacted. He's buried in a borrowed tomb. One day he was dead. Two days he was dead, but on the third day, Two women went to the tomb to anoint his dead body and they found the stone rolled away and the tomb empty. And an angel said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And the word began to spread that he's alive. Over 40 days, Jesus appears to his disciples many times. His message is, God is glorified. I am alive. Redemption is accomplished. Now go and tell everyone. And then he ascends into heaven. That brings us to Act 5. God gives birth to the church for 10 days. The disciples waited and prayed. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came in great power with the sound of a rushing wind, with tongues of fire. The disciples speak in languages that they don't know. Peter preaches and 3,000 people are, are, are brought into relationship with Christ in one day. The church is born in Jerusalem and grows amid such opposition. The message spreads throughout Judea, throughout Samaria, and then to Galilee. It moves across the Roman Empire as Peter, Paul, and other disciples preach the good news, the gospel that says Jesus Christ is the one who saves. The church faces growing opposition and rising heresy. There are troubles on every front. James writes, Paul writes, Peter writes, John writes. The New Testament is written. So though the word of the Lord spread, the disciples multiplied and the church grew. Even in the face of intense opposition, the first Christians proclaimed this message that Jesus Christ is Lord. And finally, in Acts 6, we see God completing redemption. If you go all the way to the end of the New Testament, to the book of Revelation, there we find pictured the final act of history, the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. And it begins this way, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. If it was soon 2,000 years ago, how much sooner is it today? Jesus Christ is coming again. That is, that is the amazing thought, the magnificent, thrilling, unbelievable thought. In Acts 1.11, it says, This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go. This same Jesus. Not someone like Jesus. Not a group of people who believe in Jesus. But Jesus himself is coming back. Coming soon to a theater near you. I don't know. When he comes the second time, it will not be as Savior. It will be as judge. He came the first time as the Lamb of God, and he comes again as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. When Christ finally appears the second time, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17, it says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, 
we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. The best is yet to come. It is no wonder that the Bible ends with these words. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. That's the Bible. That's the Bible in 20 minutes. God creates man. Man rebels. God initiates redemption. God accomplishes redemption. He gives birth to the church, and he completes redemption. If, if we can, for just one moment, imagine the Bible as this room. Every single book in the Bible is a seat in this room. And wherever you are sitting, you have a great view because you can see Jesus here. Wherever every single book in the Bible points back to Jesus. In in Genesis, he is the, the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the scapegoat. In Numbers, he's the serpent lifted up in the wilderness. In Deuteronomy, he's the cities of refuge. In Joshua, he's the scarlet thread of of Rahab's house. In Judges, he's the perfect judge. In Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. In 1 Samuel, he's the trusted prophet. In 2 Samuel, he's the true son of David. 1 Kings, he's the promise keeper. Second Kings, he's the jealous God. In First Kings, he's our reigning king. In First Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In Second Chronicles, he's our deliverer. In Ezra, he's the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of broken walls. In Esther, he's Mordecai at the gate. In Job, he's my redeemer who lives today. In Psalms, he's the Lord who is my shepherd. In Proverbs, he's our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he's our true satisfaction. In the Song of Solomon, he's the beautiful bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the suffering servant. In Jeremiah, he's the righteous branch. In Lamentations, he's the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the son of man. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the furnace. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband. In Joel, he's the one who restores In Amos, he's the burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's the mighty judge. In Jonah, he's the foreign missionary. In Micah, he's our peace. In Nahum, he's the avenger. In Habakkuk, he's the Lord in his holy temple. In Zephaniah, he's the Lord mighty to save. In Haggai, he's the Lord of hosts. In Zechariah, he's the fountain of cleansing. In Malachi, he's the son of the righteousness. In Matthew, he's the promised Messiah. In Mark, he's the faithful servant. In Luke, he's the friend of sinners. In John, he's the son of God. In Acts, he's the ascended Lord. In Romans, he's the justifier. In 1 Corinthians, he's he's our righteousness. In 2 Corinthians, he's the God of all comfort. In Galatians, he's the redeemer from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, he's the head of the church. In Philippians, he's the all-sufficient Christ. In Colossians, he's the fullness of God. In 1 Thessalonians, he's the Lord coming down from heaven. In 2 Thessalonians, he's the judge coming with blazing fire. In 1 Timothy, he's our mediator. In 2 Timothy, he's our master. In Titus, he's our blessed hope. In Philemon, he's the one who paid our debt. In Hebrews, he's our great high priest. In James, he's the judge standing at the door. In 1 Peter, he's the chief shepherd. In 2 Peter, he's the morning star. In 1 John, he's the word of life. In 2 John, the son of the father. 3 John, he's the truth. In Jude, he's the Lord coming with countless thousands of his saints. And in Revelation, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. 
He's all of those things. He is the theme of the Bible. The whole thing is about him. If you know the Bible, but you don't know Jesus, you've missed something. Because all of that points to him. That was a long list. <laughs> and it's not expected that, that that's the, the first thing that we think of. But when we look to the Bible, when we're studying the Bible, whether we're studying this section or, or that section over there, whatever that section may be, the question always has to be, how does this fit with Jesus? Where, where does this all come together? Of his kingdom, there will be no end. and He shall reign forever and ever as King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. Thank you that your word points to the hope that we can have in Jesus with every single word. Every single word pointing back to the blood of Jesus. God, we thank you that from the very beginning you had a plan for your people. We thank you that from the very beginning our, our poor choices, our, our choice to follow sin, our choice to turn away from you, was answered by a perfect gift, was answered by an undeserved sacrifice. The only way that we are able to come to you. God, as we stand here this morning, as we, we prepare to go out into the world, as we prepare to go to our families and to our workplaces and, and to be with those that maybe don't know you, Lord, help us to point back to you just the way the, the word of God does, just the way the, the Bible does. Help us to point back to Jesus. Help my life to be a reflection of who Jesus is. God, we ask it in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop.